You know, the Olympics are coming up in Rio de Janeiro. I guess they'll go off. I'm not sure. I think they're broke, but we'll see what happens with that. But nonetheless, they're supposed to be coming up. And the athletes who will be there, they're going to compete. They're going to be running for Olympic gold. My question to you out of the shoot is this. What are you running for? Every single person in this room is running. Every person out there is running. The question is, what are you running for? Some are running for worldly acclaim. Some are running for a worldly success. Others might be running for power. Others might be running for money. Others might be running because they want a nice, comfortable life and they like to have lots of toys and enjoy their life. Others just want to have a nice family life. That's what they're running for and they're hoping for a nice family life. Some people are running so they can get a nice nest egg and then have a great retirement after. The question is, We are running. What are you running for? Now, if you are a believer, if you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Apostle Paul this morning will tell us what we should be running for in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. I'm going to give you Frank Ray's dynamic translation. It goes like this. Paul said, I run so that at the end of the race, that is this life, I will receive the heavenly prize. Do you know what the heavenly prize is? Skip put up the picture. The heavenly prize is this. I hope you can imagine it in your mind's eye, but when the dust settles and there's a new heavens and a new earth, remember, all that you see is going to burn. All that you see is going to burn one day. It will not exist. But what will exist is the eternal realm And Paul could envision that day when the myriads and myriads of believers all down through the ages will be gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ. And Paul could envision at one point Jesus standing up and calling out Paul's name. And Paul coming up in front of the vast throng of believers who have ever lived. And then Jesus places the victor crown on Paul's head, and he looks at him, eyeball to eyeball, and he says, Paul, well done. Well done. You ran this race faithfully. That is the reason why Paul was running the earthly life. And I want you to know, if you do call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then we are not running for Olympic gold. We are not running for worldly acclaim. We are running for that none other, that brief shining moment in eternity when Jesus calls us up. And he looks at us in the eyes. He puts the victor's crown on our head. That never, never perishes. And he says, well done, you ran it well. You, you, and you, and you were faithful. That is why we are running. We are running to hear the King of kings and the Lord of lords tell us that we ran this race faithfully. And Paul now this morning is going to talk about our workplace. And he's going to say... I'll just give you kind of the brief highlight before we look at the verses. He's going to tell us that the reason why we work is not for our glory, but we work for his glory. In fact, Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. He says, slaves, 
Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart when you feel like it or when they're nice to you. Work with enthusiasm. Hmm? Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, employers, managers, presidents, CEOs, treat your slaves, your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Perhaps you have asked yourself, self, why am I working? Why am I at my job? Glad you asked the question. Paul answers the question. He says, the reason why you are working is for the glory of God, period. You, 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 me, the whole reason we work, we're at our jobs, is to glorify God. Now, here's the question. How well are you representing Jesus Christ on your job? How well are you representing Jesus Christ on your job? Now, I want to talk about this more at the end, but i got to talk about the elephant in the room. You know what the elephant in the room is? The elephant in the room is people read this and they say, are you telling me that the God of the universe condones the sometimes horrible institution of slavery? And the surprising answer to this is that God is concerned with a greater problem, a greater issue. In fact, I am absolutely convinced the greatest problem that each one of us has, I know the greatest problem that I have is I don't see things the way God sees things. Have you ever thought about that? Do you think you see things the way God sees things? In fact, the Hebrew prophet Isaiah said in 700 BC under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said in Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And because this is true, because of this reality, God really confuses us so often. We're not sure really what he is doing. And I want you to know this morning that the God of the universe is concerned about slavery, just not the slavery that you and I think of. The slavery that God is concerned with is the enslavement of the human heart to sin. The slavery that the God of the universe is absolutely concerned about is our enslavement to sin. And I'm going to explain this in a moment. But Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 34. He said this, I tell you the truth. Now listen to him. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, do not let any part of your body, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil and serve sin. In Romans 6, 14, Paul wrote this, sin is no longer your master. Do you know who Paul is talking about? He's talking about a believer. 
He's saying that a believer does not have to sin anymore. Did you know that? Wow, what do you mean? What I mean is this, if you're truly born again, then you have a new nature and you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I have a new nature. And do you know that I don't have to operate in hatred anymore? I don't have to have angry and rage controlling me. I don't have to have lust controlling me. I don't have to have, uh, you know, all kinds of lust and greed and envy. I don't have to have strongholds controlling my mind. I don't have to have addictions running my life. And neither do you. In fact, Jesus doesn't want that to be happening to his church. Now, the unbeliever is a different story. Do you know the unbeliever can't help themselves? It's tragic. The unbeliever can't help their anger and their rage and their bitterness and their unforgiveness. You know, what do you think France happened for? we're, We're watching Turkey. You're watching chaos. I'll tell you why it's happening. Because, see, Jesus came to deal with the real problem that you have and I have. And that's sin in my heart. That's darkness in my heart. That's selfishness in your heart and my heart. And Jesus came to solve that problem. I want you to understand that all forms of slavery, whether you're dealing with sex slavery, whether you're dealing with economic slavery, whether you're dealing with forced labor and sweatshops, whether you're dealing with racism, I don't care whether you're dealing with hatred, whether you're dealing with ISIS, all of these problems stem from and have their basis in the darkness of the human heart. It starts with sin and selfishness and lust and greed and anger and bitterness in your heart and my heart if you're not a believer. And you know, this is the problem of the world. This, what we're talking about right now, is the problem of the world. And I'm sorry to say that at least... For the American church, we're headed in a dangerous direction. You say, well, what do you mean a dangerous direction? The direction is this. It might be called the social justice movement. Or you might know it as the abolitionist movement. And the aim of these churches is to eradicate all forms of injustice and oppression. And I say, hey, that's a worthy cause. That's a worthy cause. But let me tell you something. It is a tragic, it is a tragic misunderstanding about the huge and the great problem that is causing all of these injustices. And that great misunderstanding is the heart. You've got to go and deal with the heart of each human being. There's 7 billion people today on planet Earth. And the problem is the hearts of those 7 billion people on planet Earth. And I want you to know, as long as people are held captive to sin and rebellion and selfishness, and anger and bitterness and judgmentalism and racism and hatred and bondage and addictions, you are going to see all kinds of injustices occurring. You're just seeing the, you're, you're just seeing the beginning. It's horrible to look at the images of France, isn't it? It's horrible to see what is happening with ISIS. It's horrible to see the racism and the divide that's happening, the anger in this country. But it's a mistake to assume that it's external and not an internal problem of the human heart. You must, we must, we must deal with our hearts before we can deal with the external problems in any meaningful way. And you know, Jesus is our example here. Did you know that Jesus had a life mission statement? Anybody know that? 
Jesus Christ had a life mission statement that drove him. And we see that in Luke chapter 4. Skip, can you put up those verses? He says this. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they found him, they begged him not to leave them. You know why they were begging him not to leave? Because, see, Jesus could take a few fish and some, a loaf of bread, and he could multiply it a thousand times. How would you like that for your grocery bill? <laughs> Jesus could take a sick person and heal him. Jesus could take a, a person who, who was demonically possessed, and, 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 and he could evict that demoniac. And these people said, hey, Jesus is a pretty good guy to have around. But watch what Jesus said. Now watch this, though. But Jesus replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns, too, because that is why I was sent. Jesus said, I was sent for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to preach the good news. Do you know what the good news is? The good news is that my sin and your sin doesn't have to separate you from God. Did you know that? I don't have to live in guilt anymore. There are too far too many guilty people. One of the reasons why people do things of hatred and whatnot, and anger and bitterness, they don't know what to do with their guilt. You know what? When you come to Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sin. But Jesus not only forgives you of your sin, do you realize that Jesus gives the power to be delivered from sin to the believer? Did you know that? Jesus gives the believer the power to no longer be enslaved to sin. Maybe you got addictions this morning. You don't have to live there. I want you to know you don't have to be miserable. That's a choice. If you're, if you're a believer, you're making a choice, and it's a bad choice. And by the way, it's not only destructive to you, it's destructive to the people around you. If you're not a believer, if you're really not born again, then you can't help yourself. You're going to destroy yourself, and you're going to destroy those around you. You simply cannot help it. But I love what Jesus says in John 8, 36. You know what Jesus, I love this. He said, Jesus said, if, if the Son sets you free, if I set you free, you shall be free indeed. If I set you free, you can be free Indeed, Jesus's, his, his goal in coming the first time was not to solve all the social ills in this world. Did you know that? It was not why he came. For example, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 14 and verse 7. He said this, you will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. I tell you the truth this morning, in spite of all the bad preaching and teaching that you generally see so often on the television and hear on the radio, Jesus Christ did not come to solve social problems, as horrible as they are. He did not come to solve sex slavery. He did not come to solve the problem of the poor. He did not even call, come to solve the problem of racial hatred or any of those things. You know what he came to solve the problem of? The human heart. He came to solve the problem of the human heart because he realized that was the real problem. By the way, if Jesus' goal had been to solve the social ills of society, you know what he would have done? He could have just gone to Rome where Caesar, Tiberius, tyrannical uh, Tiberius Caesar was. He could have gone up to him and gone, boop, popped him right in the nose, bam, right on the head, just got rid of him. Then he could have gone over to the Roman Senate. He could have just cleansed that out. He could have taken complete control of Rome. He could have said... I am now the Caesar, and he could have written laws that were just and merciful. But he doesn't do that. Why didn't Jesus do that? Because he came to sell a much greater 
problem. The problem of the human heart. The problem of lust and greed and anger and envy and strife and all of the addictions and all of the strongholds. He came to solve the problem of the human heart. Skip, can you put up the picture? That's why Jesus came. Look at him. Look at him. Why is he so bloody? I believe there wasn't one extra lash he took. Do you know that? I think he took every single lash he had to take. He was beyond recognition taking your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. Now you see why he he gets so upset when we choose to sin. Because sin is destructive. Sin's not only destructive to you, it's destructive to the people around. That's what you're seeing happen in the world. The human heart is destructive. And Jesus took it so seriously. He said, I want to set you free. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to treat people like that anymore. I don't have to do it. I can be free. I can move in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But I want you to know, you can make a choice. You've been given the wonderful gift of free choice. And you can say no. You can say no, and I want to do it my way. And you will die in your sin. And you will spend eternity in hell. You will spend eternity in hell. Someone once asked Billy Graham, Skip, can you put up the picture? Graham, of course, is the great evangelist, and he's great for holding the Bible up. The Bible says, the Bible says, and someone asked Billy Graham this question, I can't believe there is a hell, Billy. God is a God of love, and he would never send anyone to hell. Did Jesus believe in hell? And Billy Graham said this to the man. Yes, Jesus did talk about the reality of hell. In fact, he talked about it more than any other person in the Bible. Jesus warned us in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid, very afraid of the one, God himself, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Billy Graham said this, Did Jesus say this to scare us? Yes. The reality of hell should frighten every single one of us because not one word in the Bible about hell would ever make you want to go there. Don't gamble with your soul. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Instead, by faith, turn to Christ and commit your life to him now. Skip, can you put up the picture? Hell is very real. No, no, hell, hell is very, very real. I like to tell people life is short, very short. Eternity is long. It is very long. And there is no hope. There is no hope for anyone who enters hell. There is no greater love that you can show a person than to warn them about the terrors of hell and to let them know that there really is a place. If We sung about the love of Jesus Christ and I want you to know he is incredible love. He loved you so much. He loved me so much. He, he went to the cross and you saw what happened to him. Don't tell me he doesn't. He does love us. But if you reject that love, 
then you have hell where there is no God and there's just absolute hate. It's a place where God is. I want you to know this morning that you will never understand this book. You will never understand God. You will never understand your purpose in life unless you understand that God comes from an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. Now, if you've grasped what I said, we we need to move on. If you've grasped what I said, then you're going to understand why you're at work now. Now you're going to understand your job. Skip, can you put up what Peter said? Peter's only going to echo what Paul said, what we read a few minutes ago. Can you put up first Peter? Going to happen, not going to happen. Okie dokie. First Peter. Huh. All right. I'll find it. First Peter chapter 2, 18 through 21. You got your Bibles, you can turn there with me as I'm turning there. This is kind of like a sword drill right now. First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18, it says this. You who are slaves must submit to your master with all respect. He got it up there. Do what they tell you, not only if you are kind and reasonable, but if even, now watch this, if even they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure even unjust treatment. Now think about your job, all right? Of course, you will get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. In other words, for being a pain in the gluteus maximus. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. You can read the rest at your leisure. Let me tell you something. Despite, again, what you're going to hear in the American church so often because pastors want to make you happy. They want you to be just, you walk out of here bubbly. But you know what? God isn't here to give you your dreams and fulfill your goals and desires on job. In fact, I'm going to tell you that God may very well give you a job that you don't care for. By the way, that's what he's saying about these slaves. Do you think, how many think that, 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 that people enjoy being a slave back in the first century? They go, wow, that, that, that's the job I was shooting for since I was a little boy. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, so, see, we have to walk in truth. The truth is, you may have a job that you don't care about, but guess what? You know why you're there? Do you know why you're there? Yes, you're there because God selected you. You're the best person to reach those people for Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? Now, let me give you a story. I studied under Professor Howard G. Hendricks. And Hendricks one time told the story of he had preached at a church on Sunday morning. And after the service, this guy makes a beeline to him. Anytime you see a guy making a beeline to you, it's generally not good. You just know that. As a pastor, you, you, you learn these. These are tricks of the trade. So anyhow, this guy gets up to Hendricks, and he begins whining and sniveling, and Hendricks just stopped the story. He said, man, just, 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 just for the record, there's nothing worse than having a sniveling, whining man in front of you. Don't ever do it. 
And then he said, this guy went on for about five minutes about how horrible his boss is, how catty the coworkers were, and he didn't really care for the job in particular. And then he said, on top of this, Dr. Hendricks, do you know what? And Dr. Hendricks said, what? I'm the only Christian in the entire workplace. Hendricks said, let me get this straight. You're telling me that you are the only Christian in your entire company. That's right, Dr. Hendricks, that's right. Wow, let me shake your hand, Hendricks said. You must be some kind of super saint for God to entrust all of those souls to you. Wow, I'm impressed. Of course, the guy was a little shocked by that. But see, then the light bulb went on for the guy. He wasn't there for himself. He wasn't there for his glory. He was there to reach those people for Jesus Christ. They're the only gospel, the only Jesus that they'll probably ever see. Have you ever thought about that? You go into your workplace, whatever you do. Remember I told you, I don't care if you sell telephones. I I don't care if you pick up pebbles on the street. Whatever you do, you're in the people business. We are in the people business. And in your workplace, eight hours a day. Eight hours a day, they're stuck with you. Did you ever, you know, you, you, you talk about, you know, you, you got a crowd that, that, that they can't get away from you. I hope you're a disturbing individual on your job. Some of you are beginning to get this. But that's what you're there. See, it changes why you're there. I, I, have, I have no illusion anymore that anybody's going to pat me on the poo-poo and tell me how wonderful I am. And don't you expect it either. But I do expect in eternity, you listen to me, I do expect in eternity, I have every hope and every belief that Jesus will call me up. And he's going to put the victor's crown on my head. And I'm praying the exact same thing for you. And you're, he's going to look at you eyeball to eye. Can you imagine that moment? And he says, well done, Jeffrey. That, that'll be a miracle. Well done, <laughs> Jeffrey. That's a God sighting. Well, we got to close. Here's the close. Skip, can you just put up those verses in Ephesians one more time? Work with enthusiasm. Work with enthusiasm. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. You're not working for people. And remember, the Lord will reward each one of us, each and every one of us, for the good we do, whether we are slaves or whether we are free. Whether your job's good or whether your job is a load of you-know-what. Can you see it? Can you see it? That's why we're working. That's why we're working. For that glorious and great day when we can hear the King of kings and the Lord of lords say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I know some of us are going to go to work tomorrow and We don't want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) But that's not the point. That's not the point. 
My motivation is because I know why I'm going now. I'm to represent you to a lost and dying world. And that picture of hell terrifies me. And there's no hope, as Dante said. Once, Dante said, once you enter there, there, all hope is gone. All hope is lost. And may you give us the heart, Jesus, that puts you on the cross. I mean, that's incredible. You had such incredible love that you didn't want anyone. You desired that no one would perish. No one. Would you give us that love, each one of us, that love? So as we go to work, we realize we're going for those people, those souls, so that they may know you and they may experience that incredible forgiveness of sin and the deliverance from the power of sin. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.